And uh, the text is going to be in Acts chapter 16, if you'd like to be turning there. And if you pay close attention, I think, without a doubt, you'll see exactly what I'm talking about when I say that it relates to what I've been preaching about. When you think of Acts chapter 16, I know most of us think about, well, one, one part of that story that gets our attention, and that's Paul and Silas in prison, right? That's the first thing that comes to your mind. In reality, this story is not basically about Paul and Silas. Believe it or not, in my way of thinking, this is a story about a church, and we'll get to that in just a little bit. And it shows what God can do with and through a church. You could say that other than, other than the church at Jerusalem, the church at Antioch played the most important role in the spreading of the gospel of anyone because after the death of Stephen and the intense persecution there in Jerusalem, after all of that took place, they hightailed it out of town, or a lot of them, they had to get away from the persecution. And lo and behold, they went to Antioch. And all of a sudden, at Antioch, the gospel is being spread. Think about it. God uses persecution to spread the gospel. And all of a sudden, that city is being impacted by the preaching of the gospel. Souls are being saved. Folks are being added to the church. And they, it finally gets to the point, they said, we need help. And so the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas and, and, and Paul there. And they stayed there at the church in Antioch for a year teaching, instructing them. You know, it's one thing to be saved. It's another thing to be grounded in the faith. And they wanted to make sure that they understood that. In fact, it was at Antioch where the Christians were first called Christians. And there's a lot that could be said about the city of Antioch and the church there. But whenever you sum all of this up, and what I want you to think about this morning is that... As Paul's experience shows, this is a story actually of service and suffering and success. Service, you think, well, a preacher, if I'm serving the Lord, I ought to get out of this suffering part of it. I mean, a lot of times we think that way, don't we? Because we think, well, I love the Lord. I, my, I, I give more than a tithe to the Lord. I'm faithful in my attendance. Surely God will cut me a break and you know, let me, let me get out of this. Well, it doesn't work that way because sometimes the way, the manner in which we are best able to serve God is associated with the, with the suffering that we go through in doing so. If that wasn't true, God wouldn't allow it. God intends to use those things that you would never choose for yourself to make us who we ought to be and to help us accomplish his will for our life. And whenever we go through that with the right attitude, it ends up in success. So I want you this morning to think about serving God, suffering for God, and success in God's work. Now, before I get to the heart of the message, let me just lay a foundation by giving you an update because I can't read all of chapter number 16. But here in this chapter, we see that all of a sudden, Paul and Silas decide we're going to, we're going to go next over into Asia. 
that's going east. What could be wrong with that? We want to preach the gospel in Asia. And God said no. In other words, here they're saying we want to go over here and we're not going on vacation. We're not going over there to see our relatives. We're not taking a new job over there. We want to go preach the gospel. And God said no. I mean, can you imagine God not allowing someone to go and to preach the gospel? God had a different plan. That night, God gave him a vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come on over and help us. And so that's what they did. And they did it immediately. They didn't drag their feet. They got right on it. They left out, headed west instead of east. They traveled to Philippi. When they get there, I remember the vision is a man saying, come over and help us. But when they get there, they're met with a woman by the name of Lydia, a seller of purple down by the river. And they're probably thinking to themselves, well, I thought we, we come over to help a man. And it's a woman. And a long story short is that Lydia was saved and her household. And so something great has been accomplished. And they're thinking, well, this might not be so bad. that We're going to have good success. And the next thing that happens is they meet a demon-possessed woman. Thank God Paul, through the power of God, had the ability to cast out the demon. That infuriated those men in that area that had been using her to make money. Come and have your fortune told. She can tell your fortune. And boy, they were making big bucks off of it. And so they were angered as a result of what Paul had accomplished in casting out the demon. Can, can you imagine somebody getting mad because a woman has been set free of, of demonic activity? A woman has been delivered from that, but they're angry. And after that, they took Paul and Silas and beat them and threw them in prison. And that's where we pick up the story. Notice in verse number 22, And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes, and commanded to beat them. They're, they're not satisfied just putting them in prison. Can you imagine those magistrates literally ripping off their clothes? They are so angry, and they beat Paul and Silas. And it says in verse 23, And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into the prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now, that's an important fact, as we're going to see later on. They were given a charge, you keep them safely. In other words, if some way they get out of here, it's your head. You're going to be responsible. Who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Wasn't enough just to put them in the inner prison, you know, they might escape. Put their feet in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises un unto God and the prisoners heard them and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison was shaken now get this and immediately all of the doors were open and everyone's bands were loosed and the keeper of the prison awakening out of sleep and seeing the prison door open he drew out his sword and would have killed himself supposing that the prisoners had had been fled 
But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now think about that. And Paul said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. A few weeks ago, I preached about the part or commented on the fact that we live, I, I think, in the age of the artificial. And, and we really do. I, 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 so many things, whether it's, you know, plastics or fabrics or, or, or different alloys and, and metal and things, all kinds of things that appear to be the real thing that, that are not. And we live in a time where, where you, you, you know, the, the natural has become unnatural. But a lot of times we act like God is asleep or dead or that he doesn't care. We, we, we don't even expect anything miraculous to happen. How many times, you know, we pray for the Lord to heal someone and deep down in our heart we're saying to ourselves, man, they don't have a chance. They're a goner. There's no chance. We just count God out and leave him out of the picture. The word natural, while in some senses some people have touted that, made fortune selling foods and products and things that are all natural, they say. But when it comes to Christianity, it's extremely important that our Christianity be natural. As we often say whenever we have our fifth Sunday singings and things like that, we're not professionals. We don't try to be. We don't want to be. Because we're not here to entertain people. We're here to minister to them the Word of God. That's why it thrills me when I see little kids get up here, you know, and, and, and sing praises to the Lord. And, yeah, they, they can't sing like a professional, but they don't need to. That's, that's not what really matters. What we do ought to be natural instead of cold and mechanical. And uh, I'm not trying to nitpick whenever I say this. I, I just want us to understand that, for example, whenever Brother Kenneth and I, when we show up on Sunday and, uh, you know, we've studied through the week and uh, we show up on Sunday and we preach and do what we can to be a blessing and a help to people. And somebody said, well, that's what they're supposed to do. That's why, that's why we pay them. We pay them to do That's their job. And that's all, all it means to some people. We're just doing our job. I got news for you. We, we're, we're doing what we would be doing if the church refused to give us a penny. We'd still be preaching the word of God, doing the same thing. I don't know where, but we'd still be doing it. Might be right here. That the thing of it is, when our testimony is natural, people tend to be more impressed than when it is artificial. And it, you know, I guess I got to go to church today. I, I guess I got to do this. And, and whenever we give the appearance that we're just doing what we do because, well, it's our job. We need to get back to natural Christianity, and we see this all through the book of Acts. That it was just in the natural course of things that God did great things. Now, I want you to notice here 
the circumstances, and it happens to be that the circumstances here is a crisis. They've been falsely accused. They've been, they've been unfairly beaten, unjustly incarcerated. They're in jeopardy of their lives. They don't know if they'll ever get out of prison or not. And, uh, you know, some folks got the idea serving God ought to be easy. Well, it wasn't easy for them. And if you're serious about it, it might not be easy for you either, you know. Here they are in jail. They're wounded. They're bleeding. Their lives are hanging in the balance. Their, listen, their ministry seems to be over. If you're a preacher, I can't tell you how that affects you. But I know because I live with that thought every day knowing I have more time behind me than I do ahead of me. And just wondering, Lord, are, are you, are, how, how much longer? I've prayed and I've cried and begged and pleaded, God, just let me, let me preach a little longer, a lot longer, as long as I can. And... Uh, I try to imagine these two men, these two men of God being in there, not knowing whether they're going to live or die, not knowing if they'll ever even get out of there. They want to go preach, and now they're incarcerated to where they can't. What do you do then when you are in circumstances like that? What do you do? Well, notice the choice. By the way, they had several different options in the providence of God, it so happened that in some way that Paul had a Roman citizenship. Now remember, he's a Jew, but evidently through his father and some favor or some deed that was done, he was granted Roman citizenship. He could appeal to that. He could have said, it's unlawful for you to do what you're doing to me without a fair trial. But he didn't even mention that. He could have cursed his accusers. I mean, he could have given them down the road about the injustice of what they've done. He could have expressed his resentment, you know, and spent all of his time complaining about the unfairness of life. Listen, he could have got angry and bitter toward God. He could have said, Lord, I told you I wanted to go east and you insisted on me coming west. Those of us that live in the Western world and in America, you better be thank God for what God did when he sent him west. That's how we got the gospel. It all goes back to this very thing here. Paul and Silas could have just laid down on the floor and sucked in silence. They could have. Looking at it spiritually, they could have said, well, let's conduct a Bible study. We, you know, here we are in prison, and we might as well make good use of our time. We'll just get a good night's sleep, get up in the morning, and we'll, we'll announce we're going to have a Bible study. What did they choose? It, remember, it's midnight. All of these question marks dancing around in their mind, and they made the choice, we're going to pray, and we're going to sing. That tells me they had a winning attitude. Amen. Here they are suffering unjustly. Yeah. Nothing seems to be certain. And they are praying and singing at midnight. 
There, remember, there's nothing calculated about this, nothing about this that has been designed to impress other people. It was in the, in the proper, normal course of things that, that they were doing this. And I say it's normal because that's what a spirit-filled Christian would do in circumstances like that. Instead of getting bitter and angry about it, here's our example. What do you do when you're a spirit-filled preacher like Paul? You pray and you sing. That's the choice they made. And so many times the very reason that we can't accomplish things for God is because when something happens that we would have never chosen for ourselves, when something happens that we'd, we don't like, something that's disagreeable, something that is painful, we start complaining about it. Instead of thanking God for all that we have, we start complaining about, you know, the situation. Thank God they didn't do that. They had a prayer meeting and they began to sing and that was the normal thing for them to do given who they are. And notice in the course of this, notice the contacts they made. It says, the prisoners heard them. The prisoners heard them. You know, it's not without reason that God leaves us in the, in the world after saving us. God could have easily just, you know, told those magistrates, don't waste that jailer's time. Go ahead and slit their throat. Just go ahead and get rid of them. God has preserved them and God has allowed them to be put in this place because of the fact that God knew that the spirit-filled men they were, that it would make an impression on this jailer and, as you'll see later, and on his family. Sometimes, you know, when we carefully plan something and we've got it all calculated out, We've got these programs, you know, that we run the church by. And sometimes a program can be very helpful. But boy, whenever it's spontaneous, whenever it's something that we do during the normal course of time, people are, like I heard somebody say many years ago, sometimes people are more blessed by overhearing us than they are by hearing us. You, you get it? You sure? Now, they're just listening to what you say in the normal course of a conversation with other people. In some way, they're influenced by that. Your testimony is making an impact on them. On the other hand, you can get up and open the Bible and lecture to them all day long and never do anything that actually touches their heart as it would if you do what you do during the normal course of things. A lot of times our best service for the Lord is after the service is over. The service is ended, we go out the door, we go through, you go back to work, go back to school, wherever you go, the normal course of things. And, and sometimes the very best things you ever accomplish as a Christian is what happens out there. Because that is what impresses the heart of people. It, it's just not what you do when everybody is watching you. It's what you do during the normal course of life. I, years ago, back whenever I was fishing a lot, I, I, I got, I think, one of the best compliments I, that I ever had and somebody that I was fishing with a lot and, and uh, came back and he said uh, to someone else, and said, I'll tell you one thing, Brother Stone's, 
the same down there fishing as he is here around everybody else. Now, there's a lot of things could be said about that, by the way. But the thing of it is, being here, being faithful, preaching the word of God and, and so forth, again, that's what everybody expects. And, and, it's, and, and rightly so. That's to be expected out of a Christian. But boy, whenever they see you out there in the world and you've just hit your thumb with a hammer and your world is caving in around you, you're, somebody that you love has turned their back on you, nothing is going right. That's when they're really watching you and that's exactly what we see going on here. It's how we behave when there is no praise, when there is no reward at all. That's what really counts. There doesn't seem to be anything in it for us. We're just doing what we do because we want God's will to be done in our life. The prisoners heard them. You know, I can't help but wonder what song they were singing. I can go through the Psalms and I can come up with a lot of different ideas that might have been. That was their hymn book, by the way. I wonder what they were singing. Well, the prisoners heard them. And I wonder if Paul had said, listen, guys, uh, when we get out of here, I'm going to be holding a special meeting back at Antioch. I'm going to have a five-day crusade or whatever. And I want to give all you guys an invitation to come and to listen to me preach. Now, we might even get old Silas to sing some. We'll have a grand time, but I want you to come. I wonder how that would have ended up. It was the impact of them singing and praying under such adverse circumstances that impressed these, these guys. But it didn't end there. It led to the converts. And I say converts because there's more than one person that was saved as a result of this. Here we find the jailer. Now, in those days, it was a common thing for the jailer to have a section to where his family resided. Save all of the traveling and everything. It was just there in the, basically the same complex. And the Bible doesn't say that the, uh, the jailer heard them, but something woke him up. And remember, it's midnight. And it woke him up, whether it was the prisoners or he heard them singing. He got up and he was scared to death. He was about to kill himself. Remember, they charged him. You better keep these prisoners fast. Put them in the inner prison. Put them in stocks. Because if you let them go away, you are responsible for them. And whatever their punishment was going to be, that's what yours will be. It's no wonder he's frightened, but he's frightened to the point that he is ready to kill himself. You realize how many people that you come in contact with that have basically given up on life. Oh, they're, they're, they're not getting ready to kill themselves. They don't want to do that, but they've given up on life. They, they just don't think that things can ever get better. They don't think they'll ever be able to laugh again. The, uh, it's... Everything's wrong. When you go to work and you go to school, I guarantee you your path's going to cross with people like that. 
Sometimes we wonder why some folks are so despondent. If we just knew the story. And even as I sit here and I look out on this congregation, I realize that some of you are going through unbelievable difficulties in your life. And nobody else here knows anything about it. You say, well, if I don't know about it, what can I do about it? Just live like Jesus would. Amen. He'll open up the door at the right time. If we maintain the proper attitude, though that neighbor down the street, that relative of yours, that friend, whoever it is that has refused to listen to anything from the Bible, refused to come to church with you, has no interest in spiritual things, but they're watching you. And if we'll be faithful to live a godly life in front of them, eventually God's going to open up a door to their heart. Amen. Here he is afraid the prisoners has escaped. And Paul said, no, no, do yourself no harm. We're all here. You see, Paul wasn't looking for a way out of the prison. He was looking for a way into the jailer's heart. Yeah. He could have he hightailed it out of town. God just slung open the doors with an earthquake. I mean, there, there, he's free to go. And he chose to stay. Why would he do that? Because he knew there were others involved. And, we, and whatever we do in life, we always have to consider the fact that there are other people involved. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. Because everything about you affects somebody else. And Paul stayed whenever he could, could have escaped. He stayed. He said, do yourself no harm. The jailer is so impressed. I mean, look, he's never seen anybody like this. He's never met anybody like this. That's the last thing he expected. And he asked the question that... I think I'm safe in saying that he had never asked before. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? His mind isn't on how he's going to explain it to his superiors. His mind is not on an escape route out of town. There's only one thing he can think of, and that's how can I be saved? Thank God he's on the, on the right track. He's dealing with the most important issue in life. Amen. And it's all because that Paul and Silas responded in a good way to a bad situation. And that led to the conversion of this jailer. And if you read on, it led to his salvation, but also his entire household. Now think about it. Here's a man ready to commit suicide, and all of a sudden, a man who has given up on life receives eternal life. How amazing is that? And then for him to turn around and the, lead the whole family to the Lord. We never know what so-called little thing might lead to something big that God wants to do in our life. 
what happened touched not only the jailer's heart, but it was God involved. God's bringing all of this together. No, it wasn't contrived. Nobody has planned this. You know, having heard some of the silly plans some preachers have made, Paul and Silas could have said, you know, uh, I got an idea how we can get a captive audience. I'm tired of going through town and nobody will listen to us. And let's get ourselves thrown in jail. Yeah, we'll, we'll jaywalk or we'll do something where they'll put us in jail. Man, we'll get in there and we'll, we'll just preach to those old bad boys in there. There would have been no impact had they come up with some crazy idea like that. Again, I, I'm saying in the natural course of their life, just doing what they know God would have them to do regardless of the circumstances. And God opened the doors and now you have a man begging, asking, what must I do to be saved? Well, thank God Paul knew how to answer Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. You know, just about uh, all of Christendom can, can, can be divided up between those of us that believe in the security of the believer, that believe in by grace through faith that we're saved. And that's a very small percentage of Christendom as a whole. Because just about everybody else, regardless of the tag they put on their denomination, they, they believe that they've got to do something themselves to gain it. Many years ago, I preached a series on the cults. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not trying to offend anybody, and I wasn't trying to be offensive to people that, you know, that come out of one of these cults or were still in the cult. But they need to know the truth. And so I got down near the end. I, I think it was about the last message. And I knew it was going to be a shocker. I preached about it. I won't even call any denominational names. But those that believe you can lose your salvation. And let me tell you. If you could lose your salvation. You already have. Thank God Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Amen. No condemnation. And, and somebody approached me after church and said, Brother Stone, how in the world can you classify this, this, and this? They had, had their little list. How can you call them a cult? I said, well, what's, what's the difference between them who believe they've got to maintain their salvation by being good and doing good or something? What's the difference between them and, uh, and, and the Muslims? And there, there's no difference. Whether you have to get baptized to be saved or whether you have to swim across the ocean, what difference does it make? They're both wrong. Neither one of them will gain eternal life. Thank God that Paul knew the answer. I'm glad last week whenever I, I preached from 2 Peter talking about 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. 
Be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh the reason of the hope that is within you. Be ready always to do what? To give an answer. And that's the word that we get the word apologetics from. Talking, talking about those that, that are what some would call debating. What Jude said, earnestly contend for the faith. We're to be ready as a Christian to answer those questions, especially that question. I, I wonder what you would say if whenever you got home and one of your neighbors run over there and said, hey, where you been? You said, oh, I've been to church. You know, why do you go to church? Well, I, I go down there because I'm a Christian and I want to learn the word of God. I want to serve God. And What if they said, well, you know, I've been thinking about this Christian stuff and uh, I'd kind of like to know how heard you talk about being saved. How, how do you get saved? How do you become a Christian? Could you answer them? Or what if they said, why do I need to be saved? I, I'm as good or better than you are. That's what my daddy used to say before he got saved. He said, I'm just as good as those folks down at the church. And he was. He's better than most of them. Good, decent man, but unsaved. And there's others, you know, they think, my, this has got to be too simple. There's got to be more to it than that. Listen, if there was more to it than that, there would have been no need in Jesus dying on the cross. Amen. If there was more to it than that, there wouldn't be any glory in it for God. Amen. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen. And uh, he not only told him how to be saved, but he told him what he needed to do next. Look at verse number 32. Let's just read a few verses here. He says in verse number 32, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in the house. You got the family gathered together now. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized. He and all his straightway. And when he had brought them unto his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Now let me wrap this up saying two things. Number one, once you hear the truth, you are responsible for your response. The jailer and his family responded to the truth they heard. Paul didn't give them some long-winded speech about Christianity. It doesn't get any more simple. Let's just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. No doubt about it. That's all you have to do. Amen. And he did. Let me tell you, if you're here today and you've never received Christ as your Savior... and you refuse him today, you would have been better off to have never heard the gospel. Maybe you're thinking, well, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Why would you say that? Because there are different degrees of punishment in hell, just as there's different rewards in heaven. And we are responsible for our response to God's revelations. And here you've heard the message, the truth about salvation, 
You need to be saved because we're all sinners. It's possible for you to be saved because God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. He died on the cross. He paid your sin debt. You can be a child of God here today, but the only way that can happen is if you're willing to trust God to do what he promised he would do. And if you're here today and you've been saved, then you and I have the responsibility to do what we can to reach others just as Paul. And a big part of that, folks, is not just going out here on door-to-door visitation. That's fine. Don't quit doing that. That's fine. But it's what we do naturally throughout the course of the week, the way we treat others, the way we respect others, the way that you know, that we conduct our, ourselves around other people, that's what's going to really count in the end. And that's what people see. And we have a responsibility to do as Paul and Silas in the worst situation that we can imagine that we behave ourselves like a spirit-filled Christian instead of getting all bent out of shape and complaining about how bad the world is. They prayed and they sang praises to God at midnight. And no doubt, it's midnight right now for some of you folks here. You, you, you're in a situation that you never wanted in. You don't know how to get out of. You don't know how to make it better. And you don't know what to do. Well, I tell you, somebody can make it better. I can tell you, somebody that can change all of that. And if you're not saved, that's where that's where it has to begin. Putting your faith and your trust in Christ. And if you've been saved, the best way for you and I to cope with our difficulties is to be filled with the Spirit of God, led by His Spirit, empowered by His Spirit. To do his will for our life. So whether you're saved or lost today. If God's speaking to your heart. As we extend this invitation. Would you come? Would you come today and receive Christ as your Savior? Maybe maybe you're thinking and the Holy Spirit has convicted you. That unlike Paul and Silas. Your behavior hasn't been becoming of a Christian. And you know others know. You know they're watching you. They're focused on you. And you know deep down in your heart it's going to have a negative effect on their life. And it's time for you to do something about it and say no more. It might be a rocky road. It might be hard. But if that's what God wants me to do, if he brings me to it, he'll get me through it. And he will. And you'll never make things any better by trying to run from your problem and escape the prison that you're in. We serve a God like that that's able to do exceeding abundant above all that we could ask or think. Whatever your burden is or whatever your need is this morning, you can bring it to him and he'll do business in your life and change your life. Would you do that while Tim and the musicians come and we sing, let's stand. Father, our mind can't even begin to comprehend.
the price that you paid for our salvation. And Lord, it's hard for us to imagine how that jailer must have felt at that moment of despair when he was so despondent that he was willing to take his own life. And yet, by the grace of God, someone intervened. Someone proved that they cared because they didn't run out of the prison and leave him to his fate. They stayed right there because they knew that's where God wanted them to be. They knew that's where God could use them to make somebody else's life better. That God could use them to lead a man and his family to salvation. God help us to have that kind of an attitude as we go through the course of our week. We pray, Lord, that at this time you'll remove every hindrance and break down every barrier. And Lord, speak to our hearts. God forbid that we just have another church service. Do something, Lord, that's miraculous, something unexpected, something that is shocking, whatever, Lord. Do something that will bring glory to your name. Your will might be accomplished, for we beg it in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Now, with a standing and our heads bowed, Christians praying, you may want to come down here to an old-fashioned altar and pray or whatever. And if you're here today and God's speaking to your heart and you know what he wants, would you come while we sing?